Hello, welcome to the Midkid Mama podcast. I'm Alethea Middleton. I blog as Midkid Mama. And it has been a week. It's been a couple weeks. If you are listening anytime close to when I'm recording this, then you know there is a pandemic and it's a big deal right now. Uh, something we've never seen before. My kids don't know how crazy this is. I have a six year old, a five year old, a three year old, and a two year old. And so they're just a little too young to really understand how strange it is that my daughter had to stop school. We're not going anywhere. We haven't been to church or the gym or anywhere like that. Um, The most we're doing is going out on family drives together. And honestly, I feel a little bit guilty. I'm really in my element here. I just did my last podcast on how to prep. Uh, meal prepping and and how to keep things on hand for a few weeks worth of supplies and that's kind of been my whole life I grew up borderline country I was kind of on the edge of the city we were always facing annex I think it finally happened when I was like 13 we weren't really part of the city for a long time but we weren't quite country my parents were both uh, they both grew up on farms they're both from the country um, but I we always grew up with that mentality of you know we would have 20 dozen um, cor- like 20 dozen ears of corn that we would husk and freeze in a couple days and maybe do that two or three times in the fall so that we'd have enough um, for the whole winter. And we would, you know, can tomatoes and can peaches and, and so many of those kind of passed down traits from families. Um, that was definitely part of my childhood. So I already stay stocked up. I tend to be a homebody. My husband's a big homebody, but I'm pretty much that way too, where this hasn't felt as dramatic because I know some of my very outgoing friends are really feeling the, the inability to be social and go and do what they want. And for me, staying home with my kids all day, not a problem. Staying cooped up, that's eh, a little bit of a problem. But honestly, if I, you know, do that one grocery trip to this or one trip to the grocery store or go out in my garden, um, there's a lot of ways that I can avoid feeling crazy and cooped up. I will admit my two-year-old just decided to shake up my seed starters for a couple of my wildflower uh, things. And That was tough. I had tiny little plants coming up. They got all shaken up. I keep reminding myself they're plants. For the most part, they're not very fragile plants. They'll find a way to grow. But I felt a little bit of the being closed in on all sides, you know, uh, claustrophobia right there where I couldn't get away and kind of was frustrated that I had a two-year-old that decided to shake up my seeds. Uh, The argument could be made. I could have moved them back outside. It's a little bit cold, so I do have them inside right now. But we will get to seed starting in a little bit. Um, But yeah, I I feel slightly guilty that this isn't as difficult for me as I know it is for some. Um, Part of that is our jobs are not in a lot of uh, shift right now. I've been filming workouts from my home for my senior cl- uh, my seniors. If you know anyone who needs low impact aerobics, I've been st- I started a YouTube channel. It's called Aerobics with Alethea, and it's really just for my class um, right now. They're missing the social interaction. I know it, and I don't want them to suffer from not being able to be active. So I've been filming those classes. Um, there's they use a chair, but they're pretty, some of them are really intense, so they're not a light workout for for people who can't move around. They're definitely a good workout. They're very low impact, and I've also been writing still. Um, that hasn't gone anywhere. Um, in fact, that might see a hike here because so many businesses are kind of stuck with working on marketing right now, 
And my husband's a teacher, so his stuff has mostly been moved online. There's a little bit of uncertainty as far as how things are going to proceed. I know they're spending lots of hours trying to figure out how to work around this, but that hasn't changed as far as our you know, financial business situation. So again, another thing that I know isn't necessarily fair. And I am not overly concerned about actually getting sick. I just want to make sure that I'm not being silly in exposing us or taking it to someone else. I, I have a few people I'm very worried about as far as their health goes. And I have been trying to make sure they don't leave the house. And we're all facing a little bit of uncertainty with those kinds of things. Again, I, I feel a little bit guilty that it's not as stressful for me as I know it is for some. I, I have friends that are in, in anxious places because of certain things. It could be serious concerns about their children's health. It could be a lack of access to things they need. Um, it could be they're facing financial problems. And if you're listening right now, you probably know a bunch of people who are in those situations. And maybe you're in that situation yourself. You're facing a time where... You just don't know what's going to happen and how it's going to affect your family. And it could already be taking a toll. Um, definitely is hard not to see people we're used to seeing and not to just have the freedom to go places we want to go, you know, if we're trying to be smart. At this point, uh, my state hasn't locked things down completely where a lot of things are closed. Um, the gatherings are supposed to stay pretty small, but um, some states are taking pretty drastic measures to close everything but the essentials. So not sure where this is going to take us, um, but it, it definitely it definitely makes you think. It makes you wonder how much you're dependent on other people, other sources, and, and what would happen if, if a lot of those things closed and, and stopped. One of the biggest concerns right now is when people are going to the grocery stores because everyone's stocking up, there is a lack of regular foods. Now, it's not a food shortage. We are getting regular trucks in. We are filling up the shelves, but they're emptying just as quickly. And a lot of the foods that we would normally have are missing. So I might go to get beans, and I only have two or three choices of canned beans, and there are absolutely no dry be dried beans on the shelf. Um, the other day, I went to two or three different stores a couple days in a row, just quick trips to try to find chicken, and they had nothing. I, I mean, no cuts available at all. And so the next morning, I waited until right when they opened, and I called to find out if one of the major stores was going to have chicken. And they said, oh, we're actually unloading the truck right now, and uh, we'll have it out in the next 45 minutes. And I went over there, and I got the pick of chicken, and I didn't over-purchase. You know, I, I bought about what I need for the week. But I'm trying to avoid going into my freezer storage right now, and it's getting a little bit harder to do that because things are running short. And I expect that in the next couple weeks, people will slow down because they will have some things stored away and they'll stop feeling the panic. But it's hard because with the frenzy of everyone wanting to buy, it is a little bit difficult to, to limit yourself to what you really need because you kind of feel like, oh, maybe I should just grab one or two more. Well, if everybody does that, that's why we're in shortages right now. So with that said, it does make you wonder, you know, what happens if those sources kind of get tough. And um, today I wanted to talk a little bit about gardening. So that's where we'll be going is just how to start your garden and, and just kind of the value there. Um, it's not 
really because we're afraid that we'll be short on vegetables as much as the morality boost and just the connecting with nature. It's a learned skill and it is food. I mean, you do spend far less for starts and seeds than you would on all the vegetables that you're going to get. But before I get to gardening, um, you know, I just want to think about the history here. It's kind of cool that during the World Wars 1 and 2, people came together for these victory gardens. And back in that time, there were food shortages. You know, they were having trouble supplying everything. And the families were encouraged to build, to plant these victory gardens. And in 1942, there were roughly 15 million families with victory gardens for an estimated 20 million victory gardens by 1944. And they produced roughly 8 million tons of food which is more than 40% of the fresh vegetables and fruits that were consumed in the United States. And that's really cool. Uh, just having so many people, I, I remember as a child reading a lot of stories about World War II, there was kind of a phase I went through where I read a lot about that. And victory gardens were brought up a lot and they were a very big deal. And it wasn't always for the food. I mean, obviously they were producing food that they consumed, but it was the excitement of being part of something and of having something you can do to kind of participate and help. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I would suggest gardening. is a gr It's a great thing to get into right now and, and that it's a valuable um, thing to participate in. And just a little bit about my own history. Um, when I was a little kid, like really little, I remember my mom, my mom would plant gardens. My grandpa planted gardens. My grandma on the other side planted gardens. Everybody I knew had a garden, um, and I grew up really trying to be part of that. I remember my mom gave me the corner of one of her gardens and said I could use it, and I try. I would take the plants that she decided didn't have enough roots or weren't great plants, and I would try to save them in my little garden, and I would plant seeds, and I would just make stuff up. It was like a big, or not a big, it was a really small uh, experiment in the, the yard, and I started getting things to grow. I got a bush to grow. I got some flowers to grow. I'm sure that little area looked terrible because I was a little kid and I didn't know what I was doing, but it was so encouraging to me and it, it was exciting and it would, I'd get my hands all dirty and my feet all dirty. I was dirty like all the time because I was outside probably as much as I possibly could be um, growing up. But I learned about you know, not only how to keep things alive, but how to weed, how to not pull out the wrong things. There were definitely times I remember pulling up a bunch of things only to find out that they were, you know, my mom's carrots or something that she definitely didn't want pulled up. And it's a learning experience. Not only do you have to recognize the plants, but you have to understand different plants and how they work together. And it's a job that, you know, you have to keep those weeds out of the garden and keep things healthy and pruned and um, I learned a lot from my grandpa when I was in college, and then especially when I was early married, I would go over to his place, and he gave me a big chunk of his, he had a huge garden, and um, it, it was, I don't even know, maybe, uh, I can't remember how big, but it had to be at least 100 feet long. Uh, it was so big that he put a fence around it to keep deer out and he planted corn and corn takes a lot of space and he had it, he at least always had two patches of corn, sweet corn and popcorn. He liked to make his own popcorn and um, he would help me, I mean he gave me this space and then he would help me till that area and then he would just kind of let me do my thing to the point where one summer I had a kid 
and I didn't weed that section and he didn't either. And so not only were the weeds out of control, but he didn't pick the beans. So the beans got overgrown. It was kind of funny to me when I showed up. I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely my section. He's not uh, going to work on it at all. And that was great. It was nice to have a big lot of space um, where I could put in kind of whatever I wanted, yellow squash, pumpkins, watermelons, um, beans. And I really cherished the time with him. We would get together and he would talk about random things. Sometimes it was plants, but a lot of times it wasn't. It was just whatever was happening. And it was a really great time. And we would spend a few hours in the garden at least once a week. Um, and I would help him with different things. And, and then I'd spend another hour talking to my grandma before I left. And, and, you know, I, I, there was some really good memory building for me in the garden. And that's where I learned a lot of skills. I also had another friend who was very talented. She taught all of her kids to garden. Um, they have all these little tricks and secrets that they use for different plants. And I've learned a lot of little things from her. You know, if I have a pest or if I have something going wrong with one of my plants, I can ask her and say, you know, I'm not, I don't know, I don't know what's happening here. And usually she has a pretty good idea of what might, what I could try. Um, so it's a community effort. Um, some plants are a lot easier than others, but it, it's definitely a skill that doesn't just come overnight. And if you do start a garden this year, don't expect everything to come out like grocery store quality, you know, all the plants thrived, all of them produced. Sometimes you'll find a variety that you don't even like at all. I've had beans that are really stringy and we didn't use them for very much. Um, you can be creative in how you use them. Sometimes cooking them till they're really, really soft and giving them to the dog works. Um, sometimes they're just not really anything you can use. And I've had so many garden fails. Uh, there's been so many times where I'll put something in and it just doesn't produce. Last year, my collard greens were awful. The worms would not stop eating them. And they, there's these little white moths and they lay eggs. And before you can even hardly see them, the worms are already eating your plants. Like they are so tiny and it happens so fast. Like I was trying to stay on top of it. And before they were, you know, even a couple inches long as far as the leaves, these teeny tiny worms were eating holes into them. And so some years that wasn't the case, but last year the worms were really, really bad for that specific plant for me. And so while my Swiss chard did great, greens did not. And you never know really what you're going to deal with. So it's a good idea to plant a few different things and then just try to be patient with what you do or don't have happen. Um, I remember for years my mom wouldn't plant carrots because she was like, oh, carrots are are so hard to grow, they get so bitter. But now that I have my own garden, I realized that she probably was planting them too late and they were bitter because they were in too much heat. And we've been doing carrots and it's so fun to see purple carrots and bright red carrots and yellow carrots because when you're planting your own things, you can, you can experiment with all kinds of stuff. And my kids get the biggest kick out of it. And if I had one reason that I thought gardening was definitely something that should be invested in, it's how much my kids love to participate and it makes them want vegetables. Um, I've had a couple picky eaters. Two of mine are very picky. One isn't very picky and one's in between. And planting things in the garden, um, 
makes it exciting for them. They get to watch these things come up from these tiny little baby shoots all the way up till they're big plants and then they're producing stuff. And when we're outside, they almost always want to try what I'm picking. So if I pick green beans, they eat raw green beans. If I pick tomatoes, most of them don't like raw tomatoes. One, one of my kids likes raw tomatoes and will eat it no matter what. But the other ones are willing to try because we're outside and there's something more, you know, wild and exciting about eating foods fresh off plants. And I love that. I love that they're willing to try things. And I've noticed that that has really shifted how they see um, vegetables once they were old enough to participate a little bit in the process. And to be honest, I don't let them do a lot. They're still pretty young. Naya might be old enough to do some things on her own this year. But they, the other day I was planting carrots and I dug a big long row and I said, okay, go ahead and put them in the row. And I don't know how many of those seeds went in the row because I'm pretty sure all of them went into the straw around the row. I couldn't believe how much those kids were not aiming the seeds at all. So it was kind of funny and it was kind of irritating because now I'm going to have carrots sprouting up everywhere. Um, but I, t I do take it a little bit seriously. And I, I do kind of have the theory that if they're not going to, you know, try, then they're not necessarily going to be part of the process. I don't want kids pulling things out that matter to me. Obviously, that might happen, and I'm I'm not um, saying that I would be furious if it did. It's more of a of a when they're ready to to really try to be helpful, then I'm more than happy to have them help. And and last year they planted several things with me, and but they're not really at a point where they can do it completely by themselves yet and have anything happen. But they're close. I think I was like seven when I started doing it by myself. Um, and growing up, you know, you didn't play around. Nobody was trying to, you know, have seeds and, and plants destroyed just because a kid got, you know, curious and felt like messing around. If you wanted to mess around, you went and, you know, poked around in the woods or you, di you did it somewhere where it didn't matter to anyone. When it comes to a vegetable garden, we were a little bit more serious about it because it was just like, um, any other chores in the household it wasn't that you couldn't be a kid about it but you did have to kind of calm down and take it seriously and I, I do think that there's a value in teaching your kids that it can be fun and it can be a little bit lighthearted. but there's a right and wrong way to do it and we want to learn from our mistakes and get better as we go not just kind of do whatever we feel like and then have little to no plants that live and, and produce for us so maybe my approach is a little bit more serious and I, I do tend to take things seriously and um, I value the learning experience I guess so hopefully my kids will see it that way too but a, a good starting place for a garden is in planting your own seeds um, you can definitely buy some starts and I would encourage doing both but taking a, a box um, they have seed boxes and just starting some easy things inside can be fun to, to watch, you know, these tiny seedlings grow. It can be a little bit tricky, so I wouldn't go overboard with a bunch of different seed types. But um, if you wanted to plant certain things, you want to do it a few weeks before um, you're ready to plant outside if you're doing it in a seed box. So right now I have certain wildflowers growing and some onions and... I think I have my cabbage, kale, things like that. Things that like the cold weather. Um, and, it, and soon, maybe even today, I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to be planting my tomatoes and peppers and starting to get some of those things started that in a few weeks I'm going to be wanting to move outside. And you're not going to move 
a lot of things out until they're bigger. So like tomatoes and peppers, I mean, if you think about when you buy those in the store, they're three or four inches tall. Uh, a lot of plants, you know, you're going to let them go for a few weeks and maybe even transplant them into smaller containers and then let them go for longer. But some things need to be started inside or they just don't have enough time, especially like I'm in zone 5B. So if you look at where your state and your area is on the zoning map, that'll tell you a little bit more about your growth time. Some places have already been able to be to have things in the ground, but in our state, we still have the, the potential for frost. And until that potential for frost goes away, you know, you can't just put things outside or they're going to freeze and then they won't grow. And so that'll affect their growth rate. But uh, planting things inside now gets kind of gives them that jump start so that when the the um, risk of frost goes away, then you can move those things outside and they have enough time. Some things like beans, um, they're fine if you plant them right into the ground after the frost date. Um, they, they grow fast enough that, that you don't have to worry too much about having them already started. Um, but if you want to start a seed tray, uh, it's really easy. You just put potting soil into a tray. I use masking tape on the sides just to be simple and I mark whatever kinds of seeds are in there. And then you just drop your seeds into a row and you spray it down with water till it's moist and you cover it with a plastic lid and stick it in the sunlight. Um, not all seeds need light to germinate. But I find that if you can keep them warm and light, then you kind of are covering all your bases and most seeds need that. So that works out. Some seeds like spinach prefer the cold. So keeping them in a cooler area is, is ideal. But uh, a lot of plants aren't super picky. There's just things that, you know, if you if you really start to get into that type of plant, then you learn if there's something that you should or shouldn't be doing. Um, but in your seed box, uh, some really good things to start with would be like whatever greens you like. Um, you could start some rows now so that when the frost dates are passed, you can stick those directly into the ground and then, and then plant another couple rows of seeds to come up behind that. If you do your greens in waves, um, it can help you kind of keep your crops longer and, and be able to harvest those greens longer. And when I'm talking about greens, I don't just mean collard greens. I'm talking about your spinach or your Swiss chard or lettuce or kale. I have some blue kale I'm really excited about and some uh, multicolor spinach that'll be fun, hopefully, that just came up in the sprouts. So um, now's the time to get some of those things started. Onions are another one. Um, I have bunching onions and white onions and um, you can plant those in your box right now and it's just kind of, it's kind of fun to see it come up and it gives you that little head start when you move them out. As far as like bigger plants, uh, tomatoes, peppers, um, if you have space for squash, things like that, I would just, to start with, I would probably buy those directly from the store. Um, you can definitely do them with seeds. They just are a little bit more time consuming because you wait for them to get a few inches tall and then you replant into another pot and uh, they can't go out as early. You have to give them a few more weeks past the frost date so that they're big enough and strong enough that when you put them in the ground, they don't just like get eaten by bugs or, you know, get overwhelmed by the weather. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend, like personally, I wouldn't recommend starting with uh, tomatoes or, or peppers or some of those things from seed, but maybe starting with seedlings, which are, you know, plants that are three or four inches tall. And then um, you're going to want a place that has good dirt that you can plant. Now, I love um, 
uh, box gardens or raised beds. Um, I really like the fact that they keep out most of the weeds and I can control my dirt there easily because it's a box and uh, I like to cram all my plants together. We'll talk a little bit more about planting styles in a minute, but um, wherever you're going to plant, most plants don't like overly sandy or overly clay tough soil. Most plants are going to prefer soil that drains well so there's no water just sitting in it, but it it stays, um, it stays nutritious and, and moist enough that they can grow there. So if you mix in a bag of peat moss with your few bags of dirt and then a bag of fertilizer, or maybe you can even go to a farm if they've had their fertilizer, their cow manure or their horse manure sitting out for a, at least a year, um, you can use that in your garden. And you just want to mix all that together. So the, the soil is is obviously dirt, but then the peat moss and the manure mix in to not only give it a little bit of a lighter um, effect, but it also gives it a nutrient-rich effect. So you don't want to overwhelm your plants with too much manure or hummus, um, which is the compost material, but you also don't want to strip it of nutrients and then have your plants struggling to survive so there's there's that will help and then if you're planting tomatoes you can use um, eggshells to help with they really really like um, calcium uh, there's some things like that that can kind of help with different plants but I found that that mixture of like a few bags of regular dirt to that peat moss and then some manure mix it, it it's a, been a really good blend for my plants you want that healthy mix of soil. So a lot of times what you'll find is if you just dig up a random place in your yard, that that may not be the best dirt for that. So if you are digging up a place in the yard and you're not building a box and filling it with dirt, you still might need to replace some of the dirt. It, it really depends on where you live and what kind of dirt and soil you have. But chances are regular ground isn't going to be ideal. You will have to add uh, certain things to it to get it to where it it does well for your garden. And that's part of the, one of the reasons that I really like building boxes. Building your raised garden is so easy. It's really just asking the lumber company to cut up your, your lumber and then because most of them will do a cut or two without a problem. And then you just screw your box together. I mean, it took me less than an hour to put together the L-shaped box and that was more time than what I spent on my regular rectangle box. Rectangle boxes are super simple. Um, just make sure that you do the same sides. I have a blog post about this. And basically, if you put one, one end on um, the outside, you want to make sure the other end's on the outside, if that makes sense. So either your ends are capping the length or that length is capping the ends. Um, it's a lot easier if you go to my blog post and look at the description. It's really not complicated. But if you miss that step, you just will kind of have a funky... Uh, not true rectangle shape you'll have like a parallelogram going on so um, that's just one little tiny tip and it probably didn't help you at all because right now you're like what the heck are you talking about I know I'm sorry um, but if you build that raised bed then you can really cram in the plants and so what I really like about raised beds is I do square foot gardening and that means that traditionally when I was growing up, you you put in a row of, uh, like, say, carrots, and then you'd put 12 inches or, or so, maybe 18, and then you'd put in a row of onions or whatever your next thing was, and you'd have all these big, long rows, and you'd have a walking space in between every row, which is great, 
But I don't have that kind of space. And most people don't have that kind of space. And you don't have to um, have that kind of space for a garden. So if you're doing a square foot garden, it can be in a raised box or it can be on the ground. And what you're going to do is you're going to say, what does this plant need space-wise? So you might have, last year I had a row of carrots, and then three to six inches behind that, I had a row of Swiss chard that I kept baby-sized. So I, I cut the leaves before they got more than a couple inches long. And then behind that, I'd have a row of onions. And I mean, it's like three inches away from the Swiss chard, maybe six, I think, for that one. And then right behind that was peas, I mean, six inches away from the onions. And everything has just enough space to grow. But because I'm building it in a box that I would recommend you don't go more than three feet because it gets hard to reach to the back of the box if you go too far, you're not thinking about walking in between. So um, if you have a three-foot box, you know, it can be as long as you want, but if it's three feet wide you're going to be able to reach across that entire box. So you're thinking more about the height. And so in the front, you want your shortest or your thinnest plants like onions and carrots. And then back a little bit further would be leafy things. And then behind that, you would start to, to deal with uh, what grows taller. So in the very back of my box, I had peas and then I had tomatoes. And that worked really well because things were kind of stacked and the sun was able to hit everything, which is important, and everything had enough space to breathe. Now, I've noticed that my peppers do not like to be crowded. So there are certain tips and tricks that you'll learn where some things do really well when they're smashed together and other things don't. Carrots don't have enough space to grow if you don't thin them out to where they're a few inches apart. Onions, bunching onions especially, they can be close together and they won't get huge, but they're not supposed to. They stay skinny. Other plants like tomatoes, they're going to get big and they'll overtake other things. So if you don't give them enough space for their own cage, you're just going to have something else kind of die out because the tomato is taking up all the, the space. Those are aggressive growers. And so as you go, if you can cram those plants in, you'd be shocked at how much you can get in. If I, in my three by nine foot bed, I usually can fit at least 15 tomato plants, a row of peas, a row of Swiss chard, onions, carrots, and then there's usually a little space in the corners where I can put, last year I put rat tail radishes. The year before that I did uh, greens or something like that. I can't remember now. You'll have plenty of space in your box if you're kind of smashing everything as close as it can. And that's the goal with square foot gardening is to say, I don't need rows, so how close can I really put these things? And if you've traditionally gardened, that's kind of a big deal. Um, most people are not thinking like that, and it's a really strange way to plant. But if you're just starting, it probably will make sense. Like, well, obviously I don't need 18 inches of space for a tiny little onion plant. So it would make sense that the rows are much closer together. So that's new information than just be thinking that way that you can cram things together a lot closer. And if not, then it'll make sense to you and you won't have to think too hard about it. Easy plants and higher producers are what I'd recommend for starting. Easy plants are plants that don't require a lot of water. They aren't super picky about their dirt or their sunlight. They won't easily get bitter or bolt, which is like you know, flowering because it gets hot too much or it's too hot for them. Easy plants would be like beans. If you put beans in the ground, they are going to come up in a couple weeks. And most of the time the bugs can't keep up with them. So they might have some holes, but for the most part, they're going to grow. 
Another easy plant to grow would be tomatoes. If As long as you have a cage for your tomato, tomatoes are pretty hardy. They're going to grow, and they're going to grow fast, and then they're going to produce. And high producers are important, too, because some plants will wait the whole summer and then have something for you. So pumpkin plants are a lot of fun, and they're easy to grow, but they don't produce anything until the fall. And that can be fine if you like pumpkins a lot. Pumpkin plants are super easy. Gourds are really easy. Even squashes are pretty easy. And some squashes are really high producing. Zucchini is notoriously high producing. There's always, I don't know about your church or if you go to church, but at my church, there's almost always somebody with some extra zucchini. And I've been to three different churches. That's always been the case. Somebody has extra zucchini because they produce so much. Things like onions can be trickier because they take longer. Uh, things like potatoes can be a lot of fun to dig up, but sometimes they have trouble with rot and um, different things can kind of attack them. So finding easy plants is important and picking a few different things that you think are going to be kind of easy is a good idea. Um, I would not recommend cabbage, or, I mean collard greens, because like I said, I had a bad experience, but that doesn't mean you will. If you want to try collard greens, I just recommend you also try something like green beans if you like those or tomatoes if you like those. Um, I've had terrible, uh, terrible experience with broccoli so far. I cannot get it to come up. I'm pretty sure I've been planting it too late. So this year I actually already have it in the ground and I'm hoping that will help. I did do sweet potatoes one year. I blogged about this. The, one of my potatoes in the house started sprouting, and I was like, well, this is kind of fun. Let's see where it goes. And I let it sprout for a few weeks, and then I cut it up and put those sprouts in the dirt, and some of them started growing, and I stuck them in the ground. And I think for one potato that randomly sprouted, I didn't plan on it, um, I ended up with three or four regular-sized potatoes and then some really tiny ones, and they tasted good, and it was kind of fun. It took up a lot of space in the garden for how much it produced, but it was fun. I haven't bought any potato starts since then, but if I had a potato sprout, I probably would stick it in the ground again because that, you know, and that's kind of the fun of it is that you have the opportunity to do that kind of stuff um, and just learn about how it works and what, you know, what you're going to get when you stick something into the ground. If you are building a regular garden and you want rows and you want to be able to walk in between, just keep in mind weeding. Um, it can be really tough in the summer months when all of a sudden it feels like the weeds, they grow a couple inches a day. It can be a lot to keep up with. My mom used to keep enough space around the outside of her garden that she could just run a tiller around it every once in a while. My grandpa would keep enough space in between his rows that he could till the whole row every once in a while. So I think his tiller was, you know, 18 inches or so across. Then his, his rows were at least 18 inches across because he was definitely running that tiller a few times before the plants got really big. Um, tillers are kind of expensive though. So if you're hand weeding, you want a good hoe. You want to think about how to keep up with that because the worst thing to have happen is to feel exhausted halfway through your gardening season and kind of give up. And then when fall hits and you start to see things are showing up, it's just, it's just kind of this pessimistic, um, like really sad season when you should be harvesting things and you know it, but you know you let it go too far. You feel like you kind of wasted your time and you definitely wasted your money and it's really frustrating. So try to plan for success by not overwhelming yourself with too big of a space or too much to keep up with. Start small. Maybe start in a box, and then if you feel like that's not enough space, make it bigger. Um, you know, just 
I think the key is for people to have success that first year and then that kind of encourages you to keep going. So if this is the first time you've ever put in a garden, then don't get too big and too crazy um, or you might be frustrated halfway through the summer because it's going to right now when the warm days come, you're like, I can't wait to be outside. It's so nice. Like, I just want to be outside for hours and hours. But when, you know, July hits, August, all of a sudden everything just feels hot and there's lots of bugs and it's going to be harder to want to be outside. So if you have something you can keep up with once a week or something like that, then it doesn't feel as bad. But if you have to be out there all the time just to keep up with it, um, you're probably going to burn out pretty quick. So you want to focus on having a garden that is easy enough to keep up with, it produces, and it's not overly um, you know, finicky, difficult, or too expensive. And that is going to help you have a successful garden year. And then once you have the weeds in, um, there's a few things that you'll have to consider besides just the weeds. Uh, once you have your plants in, you're gonna be worried about pests and water amounts, and so, um, Honestly, most plants aren't going to need a lot of water in your garden. Um, some things more than others, like tomatoes early on really like water, so it's a good idea to water them, you know, every few days. But nothing needs like an ongoing until it gets really dry. And if your area gets really dry, then, you know, just think about what the spring rain time is like and just every once in a while give it a little bit of water but just don't overdo it some a lot of plants will drown before they um, wither up from not having enough water so if your soil's good most of those plants are going to do fine uh, without too much water um when you do start to have any bug and pest issues it's pretty easy to look up online what's going wrong and and if there's any solutions um, there's a lot of organic options. Last year I used um, diatomaceous earth and it wasn't the miracle cure I hoped it would be, but it did help keep bugs off. Uh, you have to be a little careful with that because it's not good to breathe in. Uh, you don't really want it left on your produce, so you're putting it on things before it's time to, to pick anything, you know, giving it enough time to to fight the bugs but not affect the vegetables. It is an organic material, so... Um, that could be a safe way to help keep things off. Some some plants deal with it worse than others. Last year, I had a terrible time with bugs in my peppers until I waited a while to plant them. And when I waited and gave them a chance to get bigger, then the bugs didn't attack them as bad and couldn't keep up. But when I put in like tiny little seedlings, the, plant, the bugs would just chew them down to like nothing. I'm pretty sure it was aphids, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, you know, if you can't see it, sometimes it can be hard to know what's happening. But it's really normal is what I'm trying to say that you would have issues you're facing. So hopefully you can kind of take those in stride and still have, I had an extremely productive gardening year last year. So just because I had some troubles early on, um, it definitely didn't stop me from having a good year. But when it does come time to harvest, I don't know if you'll be the same way, but when I get all excited about planting and I keep up with it for the most part during the summer. You know, I don't get too discouraged. And then when harvesting time comes, different plants start at different times, but the bulk of your harvest will probably come towards the fall, uh, maybe in August. And it's hot and everything's kind of on that not ripe to rotting uh, spectrum. So you have to not only keep up with it, but it can get gross pretty fast. If you have tomatoes, for example, 
they might be green and then all of a sudden they're red and if you don't get them right away they're either bug ridden or squishy rotten and some plants like green beans will be too small and two days later if you don't have them picked they're getting overly ripe they're not gross but they get overly ripe and then the plant will actually slow production so when you get to that harvesting point um if you know any farmers you know that when it's time when the fields are ready you go you you stop everything you're doing and you make that happen and one of the things with gardening is especially the bigger the garden you have when harvesting comes uh, you go, you go outside, you get everything picked. It doesn't matter if you know you have five other things that you need to get done because those that food is going to go bad if you don't get it done right away. And once you get it all picked and brought inside, you might have a day or two, uh, especially if you put it in the refrigerator, most things will last a little longer. But if you don't do it right away um, and process your food, it's going to go bad. So most of the food, as soon as you bring it in, you're cutting it, you're canning, you're freezing, whatever you're doing to save it. Because especially like if you have something like tomatoes, most of the time you're not going to be able to keep up with um, eating them. Now, green beans, we usually eat as soon as they come in. I don't plant, I only plant a few rows of green beans and I'd love to have space for more, but right now I don't. Um, but tomatoes, I easily plant over 20 tomato plants, probably closer to 30 and we don't keep up with eating those, but we do, I can a lot. And so I can tomatoes because they're really easy to can and we use them for sauces all, all winter long. So it, it totally depends on what you plant, but chances are whatever you're planting, um, you may need to be processing. And whether that means just rinsing off your carrots and putting them in the refrigerator, you can't just leave them out on the counter for days and days. They're gonna get all soft and dehydrated and, and bad. So that is definitely something to keep in mind that when things start to become ready, if you've never gardened before, you might not realize what a limited amount of time you have to get that done. Um, when you're in the grocery store and you buy a bag of carrots, you bring it home and toss it in the fridge and don't think about it. When you are gardening and you dig up, you know, six carrots that are covered in dirt, you need to bring them inside and, and trim them and, and rinse them and get them in a bag and put them in the fridge. It's not a big deal unless you just let them sit there or you don't take care of them. Uh, so that's just something else to be keeping in mind. But I hope that this didn't scare you away from gardening. It is a huge uh, value and a, and a fun experience. My husband actually isn't the biggest fan of gardening, which is, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I am. But he, you know, is kind of like, well, you can buy all that stuff in the grocery store. You know, yeah, sure, you can buy stuff in the grocery store. But when you do it at home, you learn a skill that isn't an overnight skill. And you get to pick so many more varieties than what you have in the store. In the store, you might have three or four varieties of tomatoes. When you make a, when you pick at home, you have hundreds of varieties of tomatoes you can pick from. Last year, I had pink bumblebee tomatoes. And I had Roma tomatoes for sauce. And I had, like, three different types of Roma tomatoes. And I had yellow tomatoes. And... You know, this year I have some purple tomatoes coming that are different and orange. You can just do so many different things and find what you really love that you may not get in the grocery store. The fresh green beans, if you find the right variety, they are like a million times better than what you get in the store. I mean, the store ones are fine, but they're nothing compared to the right out of the garden green beans you can have if you, if you find the variety that you like. And there's so many different bean varieties and squash and onions. I mean, if you go to a hardware store or a gardening center and you look at their seed packets, there's a lot. But if you go online, there's even more. It's, it's, there's so many varieties. It's kind of overwhelming a little bit, but it's so fun when you get into it. So 
that's another reason you get just such a big variety of options that you can grow in your own yard. And then the third thing is it's, it's really therapeutic. Uh, I don't know if everyone would feel like that, but there are studies out that show that our endorphin levels rise when we're in the dirt and that there is that those microbes that are really healthy for our body. And not only do you feel better, but you physically are healthier when you're outside in the dirt and in the sun. So there's really a value there that when I'm outside and I can spend an hour or two in the garden, it is very relaxing to me and invigorating at the same time. Uh, it's kind of a similar to the feeling I get when I do like a yoga routine and I just feel so good and ready to go afterwards. That's, you know, gardening's the same way. It'll take it out of you. You'll be tired, but it is very invigorating at the same time and it's it is a, a type of therapy gardening's a lot cheaper than therapy you can go outside for free you can grow things for almost free and then not only do you have a product but you've done that therapy through nature i really enjoy gardening and sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes it's a lot of work but overall it's more than worth it um hopefully right now when you're ha when you have downtime this is a great time to start thinking about that. Like if you have a garden, maybe you can add to it. And if you've never gardened before at all and you don't even have a space for it, that you know, there's ways to start. You can buy a, a, even a plastic box that's a little, you know, four by four size or something like that or three by two and put some plants in it. Um, there's so many ways to garden. If you even do a small search on Pinterest, you will go down a rabbit hole of gardening options and don't get too overwhelmed in the planning process, but, you know, just know that it's a learning curve and it can be a lot of fun and it can be frustrating, but it's, it's a valuable thing to do. Hopefully you guys are all staying well. Um, I'm seeing my views are starting to bump up a little bit here. So hopefully that means that people are liking these podcasts. I enjoy producing them and I don't know what I'll talk about next. Maybe something else with gardening. So if you enjoyed this, I hope you'll be back around for more and check out my blog at midkidmamablog.com. I will be posting as often as I can. This is getting into my busier season with being home is actually more busy because I'm doing stuff with the kids and stuff around the house and lots of cooking. I, I cook anyways, but right now we're not doing any eating out. So yeah, I will be trying to post. And make sure you support small businesses. I know so many small business owners right now, and, and that can take a little bit of stress off somebody else if, if we're all supporting each other right now. So if, if there's a way you can support a small business ordering something or or getting biz, uh, gift cards for friends, that is a great way to, to you know help somebody else out right now. So thank you so much for listening. I know I'm longer than I normally am. Hopefully this was an interesting one to listen to and I didn't scare you away from gardening. It's a great skill to learn.